Hi, I'm Rich Wynn. And I'm Rebecca Nixon. And this is the, the PropTech, PropTech Growth, Growth Podcast. Podcast. Every episode, we interview an expert in the PropTech startup space, gathering their advice and expertise to help you run a successful PropTech business. I'm the Portable PropTech CMO, and I help PropTech startups build and scale their commercial growth strategy. I'm Rich from Richwind Consultancy. I specialize in operations, sales, and process, helping fintechs and PropTech companies to grow. So we are here today with Phil Priest, one of the co-founders of Four Corners. Before we get into everything, do you want to give us a little sort of overview of Four Corners and what you're trying to achieve there? Yeah, Four Corners Property was born originally out of the searches industry, where we used to work with solicitors, about 400 solicitors on searches across the UK. We just identified that throughout the last five years that we noticed that the transactions were just getting slower for clients. Solicitors were taking longer, although I caveat that through no fault of their own. It's just an industry issue with multifaceted reasons. But then obviously the frustrations then led to clients. The ones that feel the pain are the clients because they're the ones who've got the emotional journey. So we saw that happening. And then what we did is we looked at the process of moving home and just started to jiggle things around a little bit. So that's where we started. There are four of us in the business. That's obviously myself. There's Nikita, Aaron, and Presh. Wealth of experience in the industry. Some of us have got in excess of 17 years within the industry. So we do understand it well. We've got some amazingly close relationships. And what we've done is brought the relationship side of what we do into the industry. And therefore, by having greater and stronger relationships, we're able to have better communications and better conversations around it. So that's where it was born from just seeing what's going on and how frustrating it is for everyone involved. And so something that you touched on there, which I'm interested in, and I think can lead to growth as such, there's yourself and three of the founders. How does that work? As in me personally, if I was to go into a prop tech business, I would go in with somebody else as a co-founder. I think it's very yep. difficult to make it by yourself. So was there a particular thought behind four of you, or is it just how that fell or how do you find that? By accident, myself and Paresh have been in business for about 10 years. We've had multiple businesses between us and we get on like family anyway. And then it got to a chosen point, probably five years ago, where his daughter Nikita and her boyfriend were quite young. They were 20 and 21 when we started. And we just saw it as a sort of good fit that we're all going out chasing clients. Why don't we do something together? Because therefore we're greater as a group than we are as individuals. We're not stronger. And being selfish, being a bit older, it's a great succession planning to have someone that's 20 and 21 coming into your business with the right mindset and the right achievements. But you're right. I think it's easier doing it with other people because you can share load. It's harder doing it with other people because therefore there's more people involved. But one of the biggest things that has been very successful for us is having very defined roles within the business. And I think when you've got four entrepreneurs, we're all out chasing diamonds, we're all chasing the shiny stuff. We're all salespeople at the end of the day. And then by defining roles with me and the vision of the system, Aaron with the accounting and that sort of managerial of the finances, and then Nikita and Paresh going out doing sales, that really has transformed what we're doing. I like it. I think it's a great, great idea. I think on obviously succession planning, it'd be interesting just to get your take on this that from a personal point of view. Now, off the top of my head, I think you're bootstrapped, but do you think that's a better way to go with regards to organic growth? Or at some point, would you consider VC in your previous companies? Have you considered VC or anything like that? Is there a right and wrong way that there's not one shoe that fits all? For us, 
having a minimum viable product to go to market to generate revenue was the way forward for us. Yes, it was bootstrapped. Yes, it was self-funded. Did it cost? Yes. But for us, it also gives us that driver that it's our money. We've got the vested interest in pushing this forward because it's our investment. And also it's the ownership and control. As soon as you get a VC, you're relinquishing control of a percentage of your business and you've got someone to answer for, which can be a good thing because it keeps you accountable. For us, we don't want someone coming into the business that is not in property. So if someone came to us and said, I'm in property, I've got mortgage advisors, I've got estate agents, I've got solicitors, I've got clients that I will bring with me and money, that to me is the perfect shoe that fits like a glove. Do we need cash? Yes, cash is great because your development can move at a faster rate. But at the end of the day, a company is all about customers. And if you've not got a customer base, you haven't got a business because you haven't got your revenue generated. From that point of view, I think customers are more important. So we've ended up with the growth shares. So therefore people with a large user base that are doing volume can actually have a small share in our business for free, as long as they're generating instructions and referrals which is itself a self-funding philosophy around us generating revenue, us getting investment at the same time as having a user base and a user client. So we're growing with it being funded by user access through our system. That's a really interesting way to do it. Where did you come up with that? Was it just something from a previous life or it came to you? Paresh, one of the major benefits of having people within the business is people come with ideas and ideas are key. People will come up with ideas, people have different views. I'm not going to say that your views was right because it's not. And I think that's always the hardest part of being in business with three other people. You get voted out. And I've had many, I wouldn't say arguments, but discussions with them where I felt quite strongly around this particular thing. But sometimes you just got to suck it up and go, I've been voted out as it is what it is. So we'll go with it. And if it doesn't work, you go back. And I think that's any business, any relationship, it isn't set in stone. You do one thing, if it doesn't work, you do something else and being flexible. I think some people, when they start a business, they will write a business plan that's 40 pages long and they will literally stick to that business plan and not move and not pivot when actually their industry and the clients are telling them to pivot. Um, we don't have a business plan as such. We know where we want to be. We've got a clear goal of what we want to do, but that deviates every month. Something else will come along and like, that's brilliant or it's not. And then we'll redesign what we're doing and move forward. So being flexible is key, but yeah, it was just Precious idea, mate. Just literally one day and said, why don't we look at doing this? That's good. Really good. And obviously, like you say, customers are key and the introductions, again, are, are massive from my opinion in the, any industry, any, any business. So to do it that way is great. And again, people with slightly bigger businesses who want to keep the staff, they obviously offer share schemes and things like that. There's no reason why the other way around. So I really like that. I think that's great. A million pounds or a million customers. Which one do you want? Yeah, million customers, yeah. Every time. What a really strong takeaway. I think that's so interesting because I'm not saying this to poo-poo anyone else's way of doing business, but the trend seems to be on the prop tech space is the startup mindset, which is bootstrap until you can get just enough customers and just enough of an MVP to get that VC funding in, then use that to grow your business. And what I'm hearing from you is, you're taking a really different approach, a different model where you are being so customer centric that you are not even looking at that for the time being. And you're fully focused on your customers adding value to the business and getting value from the business in a very close symbiotic relationship. Would you say that that's your approach? I think there's another caveat around what you've just mentioned is that some people will come up with an idea, they'll do a slide deck. 
They'll raise a quarter of a million pounds. And I've been involved in a business. It wasn't my business. I was involved in a business a few years ago, raised a quarter of a million pounds. It was a really good idea. Still got no customers. Right. And now no money. And it's probably burnt through way more than a quarter of a mil, which a quarter of a mil pounds in our business would be great. But we've got customers already. We've spent a lot less than that. We're, we're in profit already, which in our first year is amazing. And we all know that if you go for development before you've got customers, you're giving away a lot greater share in your business than what you would do. If we went for VC funding now and someone came in, we would be giving a lot less away and we'd be in a lot stronger position because people want to back things that are generating revenue, that are generating profit. They've got growth. It's a bigger risk for VCs to do something with just a slide deck and a few good conversations. So I think if you are going to do it, personal opinion, get something to market, affiliate model or however that needs to work, generate revenue and then go for VC once you've got some profit. That's really interesting. And I think the other element that people talk a lot about funding and they talk about time in the context of a runway for their funding, but I don't think people talk enough about just time as an investment in and of itself. And we can talk about burning a quarter of a million pounds, but you're also burning however many years of your life trying to build a business that may or may not be viable uh, in terms of your own growth as an entrepreneur. Is there something to that as well with regards to valuing your own time? I heard a really good phrase in regards to hiring is that you hire slowly, but you fire fast when you're recruiting. And I think that if you're looking at businesses, we all know the percentage of businesses that fail. It's astronomical not just in the first year, but in the first five years. I'm not saying we're winning because we're not. We seem to be doing quite well and we've got some stats behind what we do, which means I think we're doing all the right things. But I think you can get to a point and then there is a VC element that has to be. If you want to get to that next major scale, which would be turning over 10, 20 million pounds a year to get valued at 100 million pound value, then that needs investment. It's very difficult to do just with revenue alone. So sure. I think there's a sweet spot, but again, how many businesses could you start with quarter of a mil? You could probably start 10 with a bit of tech. One of those will work. In fact, probably five will work. Three will be brilliant. One will be amazing. Five will just be duds. So there's a risk element, isn't it? Speak to the right people, get some clients on, find what works within the industry and try and automate something. If you can automate something within industry, people will be interested. If it's a time save, if it increases profit, that's quite important. If you can generate something and get some leverage, get some buy-in then you've got a business and then it's about scalability. Just coming back to Four Corners as the business, obviously you're looking to speed up the conveyancing process. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your product and how it works? Okay. So as I mentioned before, we were involved in searches many years ago. Search turnaround times vary within the industry. They can raise from two days up to 10 weeks. Sometimes that can be six to 12 months, depending on the council. And there's a lot of issues with the councils, not always their fault. It is one of those things we have to deal with, but. I suppose in the industry, as a rule, we've got a 42% fall through rate of transactions not completing. And we've seen that this year. Average completion time in the UK is benched at 23 weeks from offer to completion. That's telling us that we're something around 120 to 130 days. So again, not great, but still not bad. Yeah, four months. It's not exciting. So if we go back to 2016, we had a transaction time turnaround of 12 weeks from offer to completion and a fall through rate of 20%. So 12 weeks and 20%, 2020, 23 weeks, 42%. So the time frame has doubled, but the fall through rate has doubled because the more time you give people, the more chance they have got a change in their mind. So we basically moved some products around in the industry. We worked with state agents and mortgage advisors to 
get buyers to tie themselves into the process. We got them to order products up front. And by doing that, we have seen 100% of buyers not pull out this year through our products. And we've seen an average turnaround time or completion time of 79 days with our fastest being 58 with a mortgage. That to me is key. One of the biggest things for us though is the updates, the relationship with the updates for the solicitors, with the updates we're giving out to the referrers. That's being key. What I realized yesterday while I was driving, and you always get these crazy mind things when you're driving, don't you? You think I do. At least you're nodding, Rebecca, so it makes me feel happy. But actually, I've just realized yesterday that by using that system, we're actually increasing, and I need to do the numbers on this, but we're actually increasing revenue for conveyances without any new staff. And it's really quite simple, is that if the average completion time is 23 weeks, in the UK. That means the solicitor is only doing two cases a year or refreshing those cases two times a year. The average solicitor does 70 cases at any one time. So if 23 weeks is average, they're doing 140 cases a year-ish. Just really rough numbers. We're doing 79 days. Now I'm not particularly good at maths. I need to go on my calculator, but I know that 79 into 365 is a lot more than 23 weeks into 52. So simply by using our system, not only is the state agents being paid sooner and the mortgage advisor being paid sooner, and the solicitor having less stress and less phone calls, and they're able to then rehash more files, but the clients are moving in sooner as well. Mm -hmm. So it really is a massive win. I was only thinking about it from the estate agents and clients' point of view and the mortgage advisors. Well, our realization this yesterday, we're actually making solicitors a lot more money because they're doing more work in a year. But the alarming thing for me is when everyone looks at solicitors and they complain about the lack of updates, what they fail to realize, and I did hear this on a podcast, the average solicitor handles 70 files live at any one time. They receive on average six phone calls per week per file. That's an average of 420 phone calls a week asking for updates from solicitors, estate agents, mortgage advisors, and clients. I couldn't do any work if I had 420 phone calls coming in. No. How are the solicitors expected to do that? I think people know that if they want their sale to go through quickly, they have to be a rock in that solicitor's shoe. That's the mindset as a buyer or a seller that you have to be the most annoying person to that solicitor and just be on them all the time because that's the only way you're going to get it done in a timely fashion. And nobody wants to be that person and nobody wants to be on the receiving end of that person. But if that's the way it is, that's the way it has to be if you want to get anything done efficiently, which is awful for everyone involved. Uh, particularly in the UK where politeness has a lot of value in this society, not being a nag and not being a pain is very high value, socially speaking. So the amount of stress emotionally and mentally that this puts on everyone involved is seemingly really unnecessary. And it sounds like you've got a solution that solves that problem for a lot of the people involved. As you go through life, you pick up phrases and when I was in Sydney working for some blue chips, we had a major outage for one of our clients, multinational client, and all their systems went down, which meant from six o'clock in the morning until it was fixed, every 15 minutes we'd have a phone call because it was a critical outage. And the techies came and said, what's going on? They said, oh, I don't know. We've not got an update. I said, that's your update. He said, but I don't have an update. I said, you're missing the point. Your update is you don't have an update, but what have you done? And what are you going to try next? And he came on the call and said, I've got an update, but I've done this and I'm going to try that next. Okay, fantastic. Client went away happy. It's 15 minutes later, same phone call. But I've done all these things and now my next thing is to try this. And actually having no updates, but you're told there's no updates, but what has happened and what is coming is an update in itself. Yeah. And when we then apply that to conveyancing and the solicitors don't give an update, generally because there is no update to give. Now that mm -hmm. might be waiting on a survey, that can be three weeks. 
We're waiting on a valuation. That could be three weeks. We're waiting on a mortgage offer. That can be six weeks at the moment, depending on which lender. We're waiting on searches. We know that if we search some local councils, that can be six, eight, 10, 12 weeks. The solicitor's not sat there doing nothing, twiddling their fingers, going for lunch at the pub, et cetera. They're sat waiting on other people, but half the battle is not relaying that information to others to say, I can't do anything. I'm stuck. Searches are not back for six, eight weeks. I'll update you when they come back. But then half the battle is that client will have forgotten that. So a week later, we just say searches due back on X or survey due back on X or whatever that needs to be. So at least they get an update every week to see what's going on. But not knowing is the hardest part. Knowing nothing's happened and we're waiting is actually fine. And that's where I think the biggest issue in the market is. You talked a little bit about elements of your growth strategy as a prop tech business. I would love to hear your view on what is your overall growth strategy? How are you marketing your product and how are you looking to make that scalable? I suppose my background being IT is I understand technology. I'm not a coder. I've got clever people that do that. We've got a team that does that for us, which is outsourced. Again, one of the benefits of being in business for yourself, you don't need to employ all the staff. You can use an outsourced model to keep costs down to start with. So we've got a partner for that. But the property industry will not be resolved by one company. And there are a couple of companies out there that want to control the whole thing. They want to dominate. They literally want to do everything from solicitors to estate agents, a whole lot. The issue with that is it's like anything. Not everyone likes the same. Some people have their own preferences for everything in life. We don't always drive the same car. If it did, there wouldn't be any competition. So when you've got companies out there trying to dominate, what that does is create islands within the industry, which is where friction can happen, frustrations can happen. For me, the integration across multiple companies is important. You've got some really clever guys doing some really clever stuff in the industry where I think there's going to be some major benefits of partnering with those guys. So we're going through the partnership route go through the integration route where we can see someone doing something brilliant. We won't go and develop that tech yeah. because if they're doing it really well. Why do I want to go and spend X amount of hundreds of thousands of hours developing something that they do really well? I'd rather partner with them through a profit share, make a little bit, but more importantly, end up with a partner that's going to then sell both of us into a company. Like we would then go and sell both of them. So therefore you're duplicating effort or duplicating exposure with less effort. So for us, it's all about integration inventory base and we've got Dashley. We've got a number of major players that we're in conversation with at the moment where partnership is going to be brilliant for us because we do get going into lots of estate agents for that individual's product. And we just partner with them and we work well that way. I think there's a lot of really good people in the industry with some brilliant ideas that I think as soon as someone says, I want to do it all, or I'm going to develop the same as what you've got. It's quite a blinkered view on growth. To summarize then, you're talking about firstly, focusing on your customer. Secondly, focusing on your area of expertise rather than trying to be everything to everyone, just nail your thing really well. And thirdly, building really good partnerships and relationships and integrations with products that are serving the same customer base as you so that you're not having to actively long tail market. You're focusing on those high value relationship driven buyers. Would that be a fair summary? Yeah, absolutely. We do a huge amount of growth through recommendation and obviously we need some marketing as well, but partnerships are key. You get some brilliant ideas from working with some people. I had a phone call before this with a mortgage advisor. I walked off the call and some of the things he told me, I would never have thought about. It's not going to make a difference to my products, but you're learning all the time. And there's some 
very clever people out there, much cleverer than we will ever be, that are doing some great things. I think for me, the biggest key was to find something where you can make a difference and automate it. If you can find a business where you can system and automate it, that's a good start. Because if one person likes it, the chances are more than one's going to like it. And then grow from there. But have fun with it. Every day is a good day. Every day is a school day. So move on with it and enjoy it. And I've learned a lot on this call as well. It's been a good old call. But yeah, it's working with the right people. And that goes down to business partners as well. I think that's a huge key. Um, having the trust, having each other's back, agreeing and disagreeing, but knowing full well that all of you are in it for the same reason. That's gold dust. And I think that's where sometimes why people would be worried about starting a business with someone else, because it is difficult to find that right people or person. But so once you do, it makes life a hell of a lot easier. It means you can go on holiday, right? If you're the only person running the business, you're not going to go on holiday. So, I mean, you've got people around you that can pick up slack, but also you're held accountable. That's mm. also key. It's easy enough to go and play golf every day, trust me. But when I've got three other people telling me I shouldn't be, then you do more work. What's your handicap? 6.8. 6.8. I've spent too much time playing golf. It's one of those things. So what have you guys found from the call? What other issues in the industry have you seen? Yeah, I think because we're speaking to such an array of different people. So we've got Dominic Grace, we've got Maria Harris, Steve Rad, guys that genius. Like he's just the most intelligent person I've ever worked with. He just soak up everything he says. And we're asking people either if they're running their own business around what have they done what do they do? Obviously, Steve's business is 10 years old. It's completely different and he's dovetailed off into similar areas. So I think with the people that we've got on, it should give us a big holistic view of actually almost this is the best way to grow your business, but you take this from this, from this, from this. And I think mm. we'll find there is a clear trend throughout. For example, integration is massive. Sticking to your niche as such or what you're brilliant at. Don't try and be something you're not. Just stick at that, work at it, have a solid base. Don't try to do too much at once. And uh, I think around those sort of things, that's what we want to get. And obviously we have our opinions and Rebecca's, as you've seen, is incredibly uh, good at what she does from the CMO perspective. That itself is an interesting business. You've got some great products out there, but loads of different businesses out there that do amazing things. Mm. But then you've got Koju that want to be everything, but nothing and not charge anyone, but they're not going to make any profit, but yet how they're going to fund it. Because no one was favourite. The era of vaporware is over. The market and the economy is too volatile for people to invest in just an idea or something that might be interesting at some point or something that is everything to everyone. You really need to have a strong value proposition now to succeed. So if you don't have one, you are wasting your time. So people need to stop chasing that pipe dream and actually chase sustainable revenue, sustainable growth, and really strong value propositions that just make life easier for people. Like you say, find something and automate it. That is the quickest, simplest way to add value to a business. Yeah. So the value that you're adding will produce revenue for your business. You're not just making shit up. You speak to people that tell I'm going to get a developer and I want to create this. And I'm like, but why don't you just go on monday.com and pay £14.99 and learn how to use that for a bit and automate stuff through there. They create pages and documents and landing pages and stuff. And websites, go on Fiverr, just get one knocked up for 100 quid. Don't go and spend five grand on it because that five grand can be used to pay yourself because the development time for us was 12 months to get our first product to market. That's a long time for people to not have any revenue and to be paying out at the same time. That's hard. And I think starting business is difficult. It's always a risk. People don't really see the hours that you're doing. They don't see you logged on Sunday morning. They don't see you logged on a Saturday. They don't see you this morning logged on at six o'clock, sending updates out. They see me playing golf because that's 
great to see me on the golf course with a phone in my hand, taking a little selfie, some great views, but they don't see that I was up at 10 o'clock the night before getting updates out. So I think if anyone that's going to do it is to understand just how long it can take to get something to market, but utilize products that are out there that you can pay monthly and cancel to get the system to a point where you think this is now something I can build completely transparent. We've got a system in our business that we use Monday for every day. And the reason we're doing that is to make sure it works. Because for £14.99, if it doesn't work, I don't care. We've probably edited and changed that process four or five times. Then once that's working, I will then digitize it, make sure it does all the right things. All the notifications are coming out, all the updates coming out, the emails come to the right places. All of those processes are working and then take the plunge. So yeah, you're using existing platforms to create the sort of automations and processes that you want to as your product as a testing ground to make sure it's viable and then once you know you're happy with the process and you might go away and build it on your own platform but the time being use what's already there and available and automate from there architects don't go and build a house they'll have a little model they'll have made out of matchsticks first or they'll have come up with a design and if you look at any new developments they'll have it all built now it will cost x amount of thousands but they'll have had it all built out with the road systems and everything will be built from a miniature version so that people can walk around it and make changes before they commit to it yeah what's the difference with what we're doing we're creating little miniature models of it systems that sit in the background generating revenue that revenue then pays for its own development very interesting i'll tell you what is an interesting product that's just come out street have yep. you seen uh, it i've heard of it i think they've got something really good they've open integrations already and what they can offer as a CRM is fantastic. I know obviously yeah. Repit, lots of integrations and it's an interesting one, Repit, because they haven't tried to make Repit any better. They've just brought in all the best bits from the companies, as we've just been saying, and then it's almost moved forward like that as an old system, but it works because it's got everything new coming into it. But a couple of people who I spoke to last week, pretty high up in the industry, were both like, look, if I had to take a CRM now, I would take Street over repeat every day of the week. And so I think that's going to be an interesting one because I, I think they are actually going to try and either through integration or through copying what's out there. Again, I'm not sure where their money's from. Well, I don't know where their VC backed, but that's going to be interesting because I do feel that they, if anybody at the moment is going to not disrupt the industry because I don't think there needs to be any more disruption. I think that, like you're saying, there needs to be integration. What more can you actually do? But I think that's going to be an interesting one to watch going forward and see where they go with everything. You never want to be first to market because that's really hard. You always want to be second or third or 10th because you'll see what they've done and then make it better. And we're no different. There's loads of people do what we do. But I think with my IT head on, you've got the likes of Repit and you've got some other technology. They generally sit on PCs. They have been around since pre-cloud days. It's very difficult to move from a server-based system into a cloud. Now they have got a cloud functionality, but it's such a big beast that to re-engineer that would be huge. And I suppose the only comparison I can give you would be zero versus Sage. Sage just ignored the fact that Lossy company came along called zero and went, we do all this in the cloud, do your own accounts save yourself a load of money and zero went like that and sage said it'll never work and they never did anything they then released sage one which i've heard is horrific because they didn't foresee it and they didn't go with the times and change so yeah they've lost a lot of market share and i think that's the fear that's the fear where people will not move with the change but that's the problem with being in a, a big industry a big business is sometimes it's very difficult to move very difficult to change right move
as a prime example, they've been dominant for a very long time. And now we've got a couple of newbies come along that have got more adaptive technology because the technology they've developed on is newer. So it's a lot more flexible and Repit will be in the same boat where they've got a very good system. It's very stable. It's done all the right things for many years, but along the way, there's got to be improvements and technology changes. Otherwise street comes along, but it's difficult to stop that because new technology is happening all the time and it's an expensive game to constantly redevelop tech. But I suppose now we're on the cloud, it makes that easier. Yeah. I think anyone pre-cloud is going to struggle and that's where it's going to be very hard. So what are you seeing in the market, Rebecca? What cool kids are coming along these days to do some disruptive stuff? Honestly, I think this is going to sound really old fashioned, but I'm speaking from a lot of experience when I say the coolest, sexiest new AI product is not what disrupts the market. And if we're talking about disruption in terms of rapid change, that's what we're really talking about and business impact. It really is the small, simple We've automated this back office process. We're doing this thing that is usually a boring, cumbersome paperwork thing, and now it's automated. We've taken something that needs to be done on spreadsheets, and it's now being done on an online platform or an app. Those are the things that are really interesting because they have such a real instant business impact on the, the clients that adopt these solutions. And you can have all the coolest big tech exciting solutions in the world. They're expensive. They're complicated. They take ages to implement. You need a whole department of innovation experts in your enterprise organization to test it and make sure it even adds value, which can take years. Those things aren't actually that interesting to me. It's these small, nimble, quick, agile businesses that are just making life easier for people. Those are the ones that are going to see the biggest adoption over the next couple of years, particularly as we face economic challenges, you're not going to sell people on super yachts. You're going to sell them on speedboats. It's just going to be the simple, quick, useful thing that gains the most traction quickly in the market. I'm working with a few startups at the moment who are really doing just that, taking stuff that used to be manual and just digitizing it. And it's working really well for these businesses. And all they really need now is a leg up in terms of ensuring that they are marketed well so people know who they are and what they do on a very simple high level basis and that they are scalable so as they develop their product they are able to automate their onboarding and their sales and marketing processes so that they go to market is very simple here's who we are and what we do here's why you should buy us here's other people that are using it and finding us to be successful is the onboarding process. So yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of that. Those I think are also going to be the businesses that get the funding quickly because the value prop is just instant. It's yeah, okay. You're going to get loads of clients really quickly. Yeah, we'll back you. I think there's always been an issue in any industry that we just happen to be in property. It's just one of our defaults. But when you get techies coming along and going, I've got this great idea and they create an amazing bit of technology for a problem that doesn't exist. As Paresh would say, over-engineering the mousetrap and making it completely useless. And then you get people in the industry that try and create tech, but they either keep it for themselves or design it in such a way that it's not user-friendly mm -hmm. because they're not techies. So it's really difficult to get that kind of blend where someone who is within the industry and had time in the industry comes with a product and say, look, these are the issues we've seen. This is the solution we've got around it. Let's now make it nice to use. Let's go with the Apple approach. Apple killed it with just aesthetics. 
And that's what defined them as a business because everything down to the packaging, down to the plugs, down to the wire, everything was done and thought about. But when you've got industry specialists who do the same thing and they go, if I could just automate this, it'd be great. And they do. And then it looks awful. Aesthetic is important, particularly if it's a tool you're working with on a day-to-day basis. You need something that doesn't clutter your mind. And you make a very good point. People are very quick to engineer something useful, forgetting that part of the usefulness is making it pleasurable to use. And for all their faults, Apple have really nailed the design aspect and making something that is a pleasure to use has always been their top priority. And it's one of the reasons they're such a big success. I think the same is true when it comes to sales and marketing. You get businesses that think aesthetic is everything and looking great is everything. And then you get businesses who are just about functionality. When in reality, you really need to marry the two. You need to look professional online. You need to have a sleek marketing appearance, not because it's all about looking good, but because you need to give people a good experience of engaging with you. And that's part of it. And your product needs to do that as well. So I think if you're building a product that people are going to look forward to using, design does have to be up there. Number one, I do think has to be functionality, but number two, design, in my opinion. And again, it also comes down to money, as in you're never going to get the perfect product on phase one, the first thing that you put out is going to probably be pretty ugly, that it flows nicely, but it's not going to look great. And it all depends on then you just keep sending out the updates. And I think, again, communication with the customer is fundamental as well. They need to know that you're updating this and this is a new functionality, because if you don't do that, they're just going to see something shiny and and move on to that. So I think, again, that is, is definitely key within all that. Certainly to move towards that is definitely a, a desirable goal. Yeah. 100%. But then design doesn't have to be expensive. You can get some great designers to do some work and it doesn't have to be Apple. It can be relatively good, but I think keeping it clean, I think this is where in such a heavy process driven industry with conveyancing, when you look at some of their systems, they are literally designed in the 1990s and it's all text and no visuals and there's no colors and they work and they're functional. But the new ones coming onto the market are your icons and your flashy desktops and it's all whites and cleans and it's easy to use and nice to look at. And everything's in the right place. Everything's one click, not five clicks, which again is probably one of the best parts about being in an agile business is that we can create things that are on the fly. We can create new products within a couple of weeks because we've got the technology and the system to do that, but it's still got to look right. And the amount of revisions we go through ourselves, just when things just don't feel or flow, that's an important part because it's got to look right. I think sometimes for me, I'd almost go 50, 50. If it doesn't look nice, people aren't going to use it. If it's not intuitive and having big green buttons or big red buttons, or, you know, having stuff that drags your eye into doing that next thing, because that's the first step they need to go to in their system in order to generate whatever it is your business does. That's where it holds up. Awesome. Look, Phil, thank you so much for your time. Really insightful and some great stuff there. It's been good guys. Thank you for that. Awesome. Thank you very much. Guys. Enjoy your day. Thanks for joining us on the PropTech Growth Podcast. To learn more, you can find us on LinkedIn or email proptechpodcast at iCloud.com. See you next time.